0: This is a Maybe You Like It production. To find more productions, including podcasts, radio plays, and stage plays, visit www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. <laughs> uh, this is just something I worked
1: up. Uh, i do it for you, Maybe You Like It, Maybe You Don't.
0: Hello, I'm Jake, and this is the Maybe You Like It podcast. The podcast where we take plays, films, and more that have never been staged before, or are never likely to be staged again, and we talk about how we stage them. As always, I'm joined by Caleb. Hello! And this week, on our third Spooktoberfest episode, we are joined by... We're calling him a wandering artist today. It's Will Foxton. Hello.
2: Hi! Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. You literally... I mean, you do have an idea of how long I've wanted to be on this podcast because I've kept <laughs> nagging you about it. But I'm so grateful to be here.
1: We Well, to give context, way, way back when the first lockdown started and we still had a term left at university, Jake and I were convinced we would be back at university before the end of our degrees and recording with Will in person. So we were like, oh, no worries. Like, we'll just leave it for now and we'll record with you in person at some point. And then obviously you know, the pandemic has gone on and on and on. So we never did it, but finally we have you, Will, with us and now he's in spain so <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. this is a this is a
0: very remote recording yes because Will's in spain. <laughs>
2: uh,
0: so yeah it's 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 spooktoberfest uh this is the third episode you've already heard two um during which you'll have heard no reference other than keller's lovely message up top to spooktoberfest because we recorded <laughs> them before we decided to do spooktoberfest yeah. um but we've been looking some when I mean, we did quite a lot of horror movies last last season if you will yes um anyway but but we've we've Done a, a, a horror a horror quad quadruple quad, quadru, quadru, quadrilogy. I have nothing to say here. It's, <laughs> it is the, it's horror. The, it's the spookiest yes. time
1: of the year. We're recording. It this is. It on, is, it is it, on the eighth of October, it is. It, it's as spooky as it gets. It's only going to get spookier, actually. But hold on. Now
0: those those two things can't. <laughs> they can't both be true, Kayla.
1: But look, okay, let's. <laughs> what is what is well, what <laughs> does Spooktoberfest mean to you? Guys, I have to say I love Halloween uh, for two okay. reasons. Number one is
2: I look like really good in orange. This is sort of like a yellowy <laughs> vibe. It's kind of... It's like yeah, you're tunnel. looking
1: very autumnal. Very autumnal. Thank tunnel. you. Um, and number two, I,
2: I love scary movies. Like Okay. Yeah. So I'm super stoked to be here talking about one of my all-time favorite films.
1: We're, we're stoked That's to have great. you here. Uh, ter- you know, scary movies terrify me. I hate scary movies. And as a kid, I never did Halloween. So Spooktoberfest is, like, maybe one of the worst decisions I've ever made. <laughs> I similarly, I think before we started doing the podcast, I'd probably
0: maybe watched two horror films. Yeah. Later. Like, they're just <laughs> not for me. <laughs>
1: I only into it because,
2: like, my parents, my mum never let us do trick-or-treating because she was like, like, heathens do that, you know? Um, <laughs> so I think because of that, like, we never did it. And I think this is, like, my dramatic rebellion. Do you know what I mean? Like, my Yeah that's what what a rebellion that is right coming on a podcast (laughs) horrible yeah, i once
0: um i once went around my 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 local neighborhood my streets when i was i think i was about eight no i think must have been 10 years old and i printed off a poster because i i live in quite a snooty neighborhood and i printed off a poster that basically said like i think maybe i'd gone when i was nine when i just moved in around here and i'd got not very much response to my trick-or-treating so i made a little post that was like i know some of you find it annoying that people come and knock on your doors but please can you be nice to all the trick-or-treaters and have sweets and i i went to 10 year old around the roads around my house putting up these little posters um and i have a really distinct memory of it because these like teenage boys like came up like surrounded me and started like (laughs) reading my poster and they went (laughs) took them down they asked me where I lived and they went to my house and they left a note on my door they left like a note on my door that was like oh I think my mum had left a note on my door because she I hadn't been back I'd I'd been too long away so she'd left a note on the door being like I've gone out looking for you wait here if you come back and they left a note on the door that said okay mum but oh, it wasn't me
1: how oh, spooky man. is that i was <laughs> that's gonna so neat. at the beginning of that story i was gonna call you a big loser but then you told <laughs> all the bit about being bullied by teenagers and now but you know you, but too, you know
0: right? why you know why i was bullied by teenagers because i was a big loser so <laughs> <laughs> it works both ways but it makes no sense um,
2: like surely you are like defending their interests to sort of get yeah, out of they night. I don't know.
0: They were they were too cool for Halloween. You get you get to a point where it's
2: just too cool to like get free sweets. So. I'd love to be too cool to get free sweets. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Can guys. we
0: also appreciate the excellent excellent podcasting earlier when Will referred to his clothing? on this audio
1: oh yeah yeah but <laughs> that no, but that, that is good podcasting because people don't know and now and
0: now they that's do. true now that's they true. do and now i and now i've pointed out do. just in case anyone was annoyed
1: my favorite
2: podcast really is it's like it's like because we have a little gang and all our listeners are like oh i want to be in the gang but they can't be you gotta leave them wanting more right <laughs> <laughs> all
1: right look
0: everyone's in our game we've
1: danced around speaktoberfest <laughs> enough we'll um You decided to absolutely terrify us this week. What film have you brought to the podcast? I have chosen the film The Babadook. Babadook. The Babadook. Babadook? Babadook? Babadook. 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 (laughs) The Babadook is a 2014 uh, Australian horror film written and directed by Jennifer Kent, starring Essie Davis, uh, Noah Wiseman, and others and it terrified me so thank you for that Will um do you do you want to give us a little rundown of the plot as, as quick as you like do, do I sort of spoilers where, where how do we stand with that? oh spoilers uh, definitely spoilers uh, go watch the Babadook it's on BBC iPlayer right now so go watch the Babadook and then come back okay so- wait 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 oh okay the they're back,
2: they're back okay hi guys <laughs> missed you a lot welcome back to the pod so the vibe of the bag with is this it starts with this sort of like cool dreamy sequence montage thing uh where the main character amelia is like reliving um a very stressful and traumatic event she was on the way to the hospital to give birth um when there was a car crash and her husband who was driving her there died then seven years later she is dealing with a very like unruly, very difficult child who likes to build weapons and keeps referring to this creature that's going to come. And he's always says to his mother, like, I'll protect you when it comes to, to kill you. And basically, because of this behavior, he's having trouble at school. He doesn't really have any friends, etc., etc. One night, um, a very creepy pop-up picture book appears in their house and it's called uh, Mr. Babadook. And it is basically, uh, Amelia starts to read it to Samuel, her child, and it's getting very creepy, very spooky, and the book says stuff like, uh, every time you deny me, I'll get stronger, and then eventually you'll see me, and you'll wish you were dead, blah, blah, blah. Um, Mm -hmm. She, I think she sort of burns the book, she rips it up, but the book keeps coming back, and um, she's convinced, she starts to receive sort of strange phone calls, and she's convinced that the Babadook is, well, Samuel is convinced that the Babadook Babadook is stalking her at first, Amelia isn't uh, so keen, isn't so sure, rather, And um, eventually it gets sort of undeniable and it gets, the whole sort of showdown is the Babadook possesses Amelia and um, she ends up killing their dog, which is a really traumatic scene for me to watch. Um, And uh, then she's about to kill, kill them. I'm really getting into this, aren't I? No, no, it's good. It's good. (laughs) She's about to kill uh, Samuel, but then Samuel manages to like by touching her and by like, showing her love or whatever she managed to like expel the spirit of the babadook Mm. and at the end the babadook like shows her shows her the like you know images of her husband getting killed again she confronts the babadook and she tells it to get out of her house and it's basically i think it's some might say not to be an english student about this but it's sort of her recognizing and finally dealing with the trauma and grief that has um affected her for all these years and she manages to sort of overpower the babadook And the final scene, which um, I think is absolutely brilliant, is it's her celebrating Samuel's birthday. they have a much better relationship now. He sort of seems to be less troubled by everything. And she goes downstairs to her cellar and the Babadook is there and he sort of tries to overpower her, but she is able to subdue him. She offers him a bowl full of earthworms and he sort of is content with that and he goes back into the shadows and Amelia goes back upstairs and hugs Samuel and that's sort of the end of...
1: Yeah, thank you. That's a perfect summary and, and very brief, which is nice. It's, yeah, I think, because the film is, it doesn't really hide this. It's about grief, right? Like the Babadook is a, is a physical manifestation of Amelia's grief about her husband's death. and And that ending, I guess, is this idea that you can expel this like all consuming grief, but you never really lose that grief. And we see in that scene when she goes down that she's still terrified by the Babadook. Even, even though she can control him, she's still terrified by him. But that, well, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it when we get to staging it, but like that, that's part of it is that grief remains with you, but you, and it can still terrify you, but it, it is also something that you can learn to control and manage. Well, it's a beautiful film and the ending is is beautiful, but it is also terrifying when i was googling this film after uh, well just before i watched it actually the like most asked question is like is babadook the scariest film <laughs> that was just like one of the Google <laughs> <I'll suggestions. Google>. <laughs> and <laughs> and it like is one of the scariest films for sure it's very very scary and it uses what it has it's a very like low budget film it uses what it has very very effectively um and and and, it, and it's good at that But I also hate scary movies, as I've already said, so
0: (laughs) I was terrified all the way through. What I find so interesting about, like, having only really just started to watch horror films, and you might completely disagree with me, therefore, is it almost feels like I completely agree, that's definitely what the themes of this movie are. But then, like, there's a whole load of other movies that have completely different themes that can sort of still be boiled down in the same way to things go bump, bump, lady go scream, scream.
1: Yeah. You know? (laughs) <laughs> but uh, no but I, I, find I that think that's really interesting. I think that is true and I think but I think it's the same of any genre of film mm. when a film leans into genre as in like when it when it pushes to be as much like the genre that it that it is emulating yeah. and it, and it uses the tropes that it has it, it it's about using those tropes to push a certain theme. So like w- there's so many westerns uh, about different things, but they, they're all about different themes, but they all have the same kind of thing, right? Like, you know, shootouts mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And it's the same with sci-fi. Like sci-fi will have like your spaceships and, your you know, like, funky aliens and stuff, but they'll be dealing with different themes. And it's exactly the same with horror. When you lean into the genre of horror, you are going to be engaging with the same tropes, but you're going to be aiming at different themes. I mean, The Invisible Man that we did earlier, you know, on the podcast, sort of, what what, what was that, like eight months ago? That film is about abusive relationships and, and thematically that's what it's dealing with, but it's using exactly the same tropes and, uh, you know, it's using some of the same physical effects as well. And so I think it's about these f- you know, films like this, it very intelligently use these well-worn tropes, but in ways that deal with themes that we don't necessarily see all the time. Mm.
2: Also with the latest as all well, bump, bump, bump,
1: bump, scream, scream.
2: She does go scream, scream, but then she also goes, Kill kill, you know, kill dog, kill child. And I think what's yeah. super interesting about this, the idea that it's pushing, is that um the thoughts that all parents have towards their children. And I personally have seen lots of women screaming in horror films, but I've never seen the place that um, Amelia goes to, that angry, sort of murderous place. So exactly what you're saying, it's the same tropes, but it's such an interesting theme which I've never seen played out on film before. Like mm. And I think motherhood in horror is really having like a moment isn't it like bad box thinking about it now that terrible film mother with Jennifer Lawrence that I didn't see so this is just like a <laughs> please edit this out I don't know where I'm going with this thought but no, it no, just no. came to me so yeah yeah I really like what you said tropes but well I,
1: I I think it's it's a 21st century take on women in horror films that we saw like way back in the seventies, where the idea was that like you would put women in horror films and they would you know, it would be like slasher films or whatever, and they would be the last one alive. And the whole idea was that they would take the, we- you know, it'd be a man hunting them down or whatever. And they would take the weapon, which was obviously like, you know, phallic symbolism and they would turn it back on their oppressor and kill them. And that was like, the whole deal was like, you know, women turning back the weapon that was used against them on, on their oppressor. And I think it's a it's a resurgence of that idea. But as you say, Will, like with specifically this sort of like lens of motherhood placed on top of it. And I think like is it oh the inheritance or something like that? Is is it like a similar vibe? Or I can't remember. Yeah. There's there's a there's been a few films recently that have like dealt with that same thing. Well, I say recently, like in the last decade, because Babadook was what like seven years ago now? And yeah, I think it's I think it's a really interesting like reframing of like horror as a genre. Mm. Um,
0: I, I I think important to point out as well that, that one of the big differences between those seventies versions and this is that this one is written by a woman.
1: Well, and what, directed this? by a woman. Yeah, 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 exactly, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And that's I think that makes a huge difference as well. And I think as well you can see in the way that it's made, there is mm. nothing exploitative really about the way that Amelia is portrayed. It it's about It's about her motherhood and it's about her grief, and those are that—that's purely about like her female experience. I think that's so fascinating to watch.
2: And who better to talk about that female experience than (laughs) us?
1: I, I just knew that was way that way. I was going, I was so glad.
2: Guys, the listeners are thinking about it. We have to acknowledge it and then it. No, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It's fine, we're aware of it, so it's fine. It's not a problem if you're aware of it. Look,
0: that's that's right, that's right. As long as you're aware of it and do nothing about it, yeah. that's exactly, That's that solves everything. So speaking of solving everything, how about we think about how we put this bad boy on stage? Absolutely. <laughs>
1: She's excited. Well, look, just before we actually, actually stage it, There's something I want to throw in the mix that I think might influence the way we stage it, Uh, which we're all very aware of this. The, The Babadook has, since the release of this film, become a gay icon, has become an icon for the queer community. And I think that there's something that happened about three years after the film came out. And I think it's worth acknowledging because I think, you know, when we stage something, you've got to think about it as it was in its original form, but also what's come since then if you stage a film from like the the 40s or something, you want to think about like everything that's happened in terms of like gender and race politics since the 40s before you stage it. And so I think it's worth thinking about the fact that the Babadook, (laughs) this creepy man in a top hat, has become a gay icon. I'm just going to, I'm going to read quickly from the Guardian article about this (laughs) phenomena in, the t- in 2017 it's just a little bit about tim purcell who's the actor who played the monster in the film he told new york magazine select all that the character demanded he wear not only the hat but a heavy jacket contact lenses a prosthetic mouth and crap all over my teeth and he says i didn't feel like a gay icon at the time i can tell you that much <laughs> do we do we have any thoughts on the babadook as a gay icon before we launch into staging this
2: i think that you're right, we have to factor this in. And I have, in turn, <laughs> factored it in. And that is why I'm going to posit the following suggestion. Okay. Babadook, the Broadway musical. <laughs> I don't know
1: how you feel about this, guys, but Look.
2: I really see this as working
1: out. I definitely do think... I mean, we'll, I, I, we'll get into more serious suggestions, unless that is... That you was know, a serious a suggestion. Oh, I- okay, good, good. I think there are two options with this. There is a version of this where we take it very seriously and we create what is a very scary uh, monster horror for the audience in the style of stuff like A Woman in Black. But I also think there's, there is a version where we do this, not necessarily as a musical, but we do a sort of, I, I guess, like a high camp version of The Babadook where we treat The Babadook as a kind of, as a kind of playful character who can be this gay icon and like we can we can like push into like how goofy lots of the horror tropes are and so then we can like elevate this as like almost a comedy rather than a horror or i i I guess what it would be a comedy horror where we still scare our audience but we also treat this with a sort of playful tone where we kind of say like yeah maybe like the babadoo can be like this you know, gay man that's living in the basement and he just wants, you know, just wants to like live in this Australian suburb, but it also can be a representation of grief at the same time. And you can kind of have this different tone to the film where it's sort of like, this is fun and silly, but it also is scary and is using those horror tropes that do exist. Because the bit that almost maybe close to laugh in the film is a bit v- at the very end where she sort of like screamed at the Babadook until it's sort of like, it's <laughs> a big screaming match at the end, which is kind of like the, the final confrontation and the Babadook just like, almost like starts to take a step forward and then just like collapses on the ground. And that to me was like very funny because it's just a guy that like a coat and like a top hat with long fingers, just like just falling f- like you know, on his face. I think there's a version of this where we can kind of say, okay, this is kind of funny and kind of fun and we can do something a bit different with this. I don't know how you guys feel about that.
0: Yeah, because I was going to say there is no relief in this film. It is one big old ramp up to the climax. Yeah, And so I would, my like first thought is, oh, it feels like a sort of disservice to the quality of the storytelling to sort of go and now for the jazz number um (laughs) in the middle um but also it's interesting you just said that because i i watched this film for my sins i've just i've just before we've recorded i've driven from manchester to london uh and i've watched it i wasn't driving while i did this don't worry i watched it i watched it in the car uh with the with the light from the sun kind of on the phone a little bit so i i assumed there wasn't an actor playing the Babadook because I never saw anything that needed one, if that if that makes sense, because it was so dark. I could only ever really see, like, shapes. And so I maybe experienced this film kind of differently and maybe that's influenced my ideas about it as well. Where am I going with this? Yeah, that would be my worry, is sort of doing a disservice to it. But I also think there's certainly a kind of a version where it's more of a... Yeah, I guess it's sort of like a more of like a Tim Burtony sort of fun yeah. horror... And then but then we have to sort of think about what how what do we what do we want to say about grief if we're gonna do it like that, I guess. Mm. Um what are your thoughts, Will?
2: Well I think this idea of grief I find super interesting. And that's why I did flirt with the idea of musical. Not as not the musical that we sort of know of like high kicks and and jazz hands and leotards <laughs> and whatnot, but like rather a musical perhaps like Amelie that uses song. A play that uses song is how I should phrase it. Because I think the thing about grief, which is so interesting, is there are parts of this Film where words fail um, Amelia, and where it's just these sort of guttural moans. And the thing about the principle of musical theatre is that you sing when words fail you, and you dance Mm. when song fails you. So that's why intrinsically. Also, what's another thing which is really interesting is that have you noticed that there is song in? I think at least there is sort of the whispers which almost take on like a song-like quality when the Babadook is near or whatever. So I just think that I think that it might just be interesting to play around with the use of song and music in the show. I also love the idea, I mean, you guys have seen, do you remember the sort of, the really creepy TV montages when the Babadoc keeps like poking his head out and stuff. And I'm I just imagining that on a stage with professional dancers and sort of the Babadoc yeah. coming in and out. And I keep saying his name, Babadoc. Bab- if you say it three times, he appears. If you don't get the name <laughs> right, like I'm sure I'm fine. Babad- but I should show you fine, Babadoodoo. But I do find that interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I, and I think that there are, there, there are moments in the film where, where music is used really effectively to express, I guess, like the tone of that particular moment. And then music is also switched off, like as almost cuts, almost all the time, there is not a fade with the music, it cuts. And that's because there are actions that, that force the tone to cut from one thing to another. So that can be, you know, burning uh, the Babadook book, or you know, it, it going from nighttime to daytime, like these moments where like we've got like music playing, and the score is awesome because it kind of does this thing where it takes like a traditional horror score and then it sort of like adds a beat underneath, <laughs> and I, I love that. So I think there are, I think there are moments where where music is already being used within the film, and I think that it's not much of a push to just say what if that was a song rather than just a piece of music? And what if you still do those hard cuts where it's like, we we will, you know, emotions build and we push into song and then it cuts back into like reality that we see around us. So I kind of, yeah, I agree. A play with songs to me makes a lot of sense for this. And I think could be a really exciting way of, of also, like, turning what is a 90-minute film into, like, more like a two-hour stage production as well. Mm,
2: I really All like killer, no filler. Am I right, ladies? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, no, I think I, I think that
0: the thing that worries me about it, and I think what you're saying is sort of solves this, is, is, is it's that sort of idea of, like, exposition through, like, I'm feeling this emotion, as you say, Will, so I'm going to sing about it. Um, and I almost feel like the sort of magic of... Or slash the kind of point of the movie is uh, she can't express herself, so the monster does it for her. If that makes sense, or not doesn't does it for her, but but or it's forces it out of her in this in in the form
1: of screams and moans. So and you're so- saying all the songs are sung by the Babadook. <laughs> 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 with that weird voice modulator not, on. Not necessarily no, not <laughs> someone
2: called my agent.
0: Um n- not necessarily not necessarily that, but 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 that I think I don't think like we can have Amelia having an I want song. I know you've said it's not this kind of that kind of like show show tunes musical, but I almost think like rather than the play with songs, more like just like a very strong immersive musical element. Like by by musical I mean the like score music that maybe doesn't necessarily have lyrics or if it does it only has a few or uh, just uh, just because i think sort of the core of this film is that like every character finds it so hard to express themselves and i I, like you know sam is possibly autistically coded uh, difficult to tell and and like this sort of idea that like characters in the film apart from like one apart from like the really posh people who can just say whatever they like because they know it doesn't matter Like, find it hard to
1: express themselves and find it hard to communicate. And I feel like we should keep that. So, I suppose maybe there's a potential here then for music to be a strong element, but potentially with the music rather than lyrics, we have movement as the thing that expresses those emotions. Will, will you're making sort of, yeah. I really like
2: that idea. I I think that's. and the bit at the beginning, I think that has to be told through dance.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, Gosh. look, I think I think there's so much physical in this film. The the thing I've been, I was drawn to when I was watching it as well was these moments where we kind of like time-lapse from day into night or night into day. Yeah, And I, and I saw a production of uh, Alan Akebourne's Way Upstream at Chichester Festival Theatre a few years ago where Frantic Assembly had worked on these transitions where it would move like a few hours on. And they did these sort of like, like very physical like time-lapse moments where the actors looked like they were in time-lapse even though we were seeing them in real time and you had like flickering lights and the actor would like be moving this in this like juttery way that made it look like they were going through a time-lapse and I mean if we could work on something like that where we have like we have these physical moments where it's either like music and dance and it feels like expression but also these physical moments that feel like more real and, and like a bit odd I think that you could create a piece where we make the most of what this script is and what this story is, but we also, we introduce this new element of like pushing music to the forefront and and pushing movement to the forefront in every element of the show. Love it.
2: I love that. Yeah, for sure.
1: If if, I think that's a good way in, um, but where, where do we want to put this? what kind of stage if if you don't mind um i might push my, my <laughs> thoughts first
0: because they they you guys might go that's not what i saw at all just because i saw the films in a sort of weird lighting conditions the kind of impression i got was this sort of i was really drawn to this sort of storybook basis for it where it again it's that trope of like the character comes out of the book and comes to life sort of thing but sort of backwards because it's the character that brings the book mm to them and and that it gets edited and whatever and and then the fact that this the kind of pop-up book style and the sort of cartooniness of it and then when it it when we see it for real or when I saw it for real how I saw it was sort of a shape that took its most definite form when it was like flat 2D up against a wall and then it has this sort of flying pop-out thing but it, this idea that it's sort of flat most of the time and that can, but that can kind of pop out, and that it's sort of based around this sort of children's book and this side and this sort of idea of maybe fairy tale, and you know, the the, the the one you can't get rid of the Babadook, this sort of thing that it's like it's a thing that other people have experienced in the sort of I don't know, Beetlejuice, Nanny McPhee sort of way. All this is coming to what I have in my head is this sort of if if we went to a kind of large scale version of this, but even actually a, this could probably work on any scale a sort of storybook set like a kind of a large on its spine book that opens up and then that surface being used as a projection screen mm. and then when we read from the book and when we see the monster in various scenarios it's actually projected onto that sort of story surface and we kind of form so we don't have to kind of bring in a house and a school and a and whatever we sort of form the world within the sort of storybook and maybe then we can play with having you know various things pop out of it and whatever, but as a sort of basis. Um, Yeah, that was sort of my style idea, but you guys might go, that's not what I saw at all, so I'm interested to hear.
1: (laughs) That's not what I saw at all. (laughs) I find it really interesting because I think there's an opportunity for minimalism there and I think as well... There's an opportunity to make this a two-hander from that as well with just the mum and son. And and like these other characters can be almost like not even played by actors. They can be almost like sort of like either through sound or through visuals, they can be added in after. But I think what's interesting about that as well is you can make this storybook be a pop-out book where we can give it like physical texture where it's not just a flat screen and then project onto this physical texture um, and you can use like maybe some kind of like geometric shapes that can become other things when you project onto them. So there, yeah, definitely I can see. That's not what I saw. I don't think, I don't really know what I saw. But uh, yeah, I think that's a really interesting idea. I, I like the idea. But I will say that something I really enjoyed about the film was this sort of
2: stark contrast between the sort of like soul crushing realism of the school, of the police station, of all of that, versus the sort of magical fantasy stuff of the Duke. And I do like the two-hander thing, and I think I like that more than what I'm about to say, but I've started the sentence now, so let's see where it goes. I think that <laughs> having other actors in and having some, some form of scene change really sort of hammers that kind of, the contrast between those two worlds. That said, yours is cooler, so.
1: Here, here, well, here's a thought. What if you can have a large space behind the book? Bear with me. And when we go into realist spaces, we have the page like turn to reveal a realist space. And then when we go back into the house, the page turns back into the book. And so the the house is constructed through projection and is this kind of fantastical place. But then the real spaces are happening behind the book because we only ever really go to a real space once per day. So you could definitely construct the plot so that between each real space, you go back to the house. And so you can turn you can turn this page like physically, and that will reveal the the you know the police station or the or the school or the birthday party or whatever, and and so then you can introduce more actors than just the two, but they only ever exist in a space outside of the book. Maybe there's something there.
2: I think that's a very good idea. <laughs> I, I think call the Tonys to- and tell them to reserve one for each of us, baby, because <laughs> I think going will <there'll> be stars. <laughs> god
0: (laughs) will tell us more about how you see the the kind of uh supporting characters existing within in, in in a staged version of this of this film
2: i think that i do like the idea of an ensemble a small ensemble who do all the roles and also double up as the circus performers in that sort of very strange dream sequence I also, I don't know how I do this. My original thought was through song, but I would also be keen to explore other ways. I want to link the very kind old lady, Oscar, but in this version of, um in the in the stage version, I was thinking that when Oscar comes back and has that scene with her, it shouldn't be the Babadook, it should just be him. Because it's like, I want some tender, some relief. So some ways to link the, old, the, the nice old lady who's the neighbour, Oscar and the son, and a way of kind of, The only way I can think to explain this is like through Cats. And I'm really sorry in advance for this like allegory. But like in Cats, (laughs) we have the big number memory and then like the tune is repeated a few times before by other characters as a way of kind of like, not only keeping the audience hungry for memory, but also as a way of kind of like giving power and empowering the cat who's going to sing memory. Okay. So it's kind of like, it's a thematic thing which links them before she does this big thing. And I think, it could be nice to get them all linked before she does her whole like go away, Babadook Duke thing as a way of I don't know how you would do it, but I just I just that's kind of something I liked for those three characters particularly as a way of incorporating Oscar. But what do you guys what do you guys think? Yeah,
0: I'm I, just I, really enjoying the most Lloyd Webber thing I've ever heard, which is keep him hungry for memory.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I sorry. think no, I, but I, I think there is a way of doing that with music and with movement without necessarily having them sing the same tune. Well, we can, we can bring back musical themes, but we can also bring back themes through movement, different moti- physical motifs um, that, that each of them uses, whether that be like something as small as a gesture or something bigger that is more sort of beyond realism. I think there is definitely a link between those three characters. Cause those, I mean, bar Oscar, maybe that's kind of an interesting one, but like though, certainly the old lady who lives next door, Mrs. Roach and uh, Samuel, they are, they are linked by that. they are the ones who show Amelia affection. And, and that's why they're the, you know, two characters that are with her in that final scene. I think that's really interesting. I, and I, I hadn't made that link already, but I, like, I think you're absolutely right. So I think maybe, yeah, there is a there is a way of linking them musically. And I think through that, I mean, if we're thinking about that, I think there's a way of linking lots of these characters through music and through movement. But also, as you say, with having a small ensemble through being played by the same person as well. So I'm imagining a cast of only about six, really. And you have the mother and son, and then you have an ensemble of four who kind of jump between these different roles. And I think that that could offer us parallels as well and i think as well if at some point all of that four ensemble apart from maybe the the lady that plays mrs roach if they all play the babadook at some time as well um like physically in the space i think there's something there as well of linking the external pressure that she feels to the internal grief that the babadook represents as well do you think that samuel should be a child that's a good question are you are you gunning for the role
2: (laughs) I'm going for all the roles. It's a one-man play, baby. <laughs> Will Foxton is Babadook. Is, 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 oh yeah. It's,
0: it's just, bad. it's a one-man play, which is just the Babadook comes on. Yeah. From the, and <laughs> it's like, from the perspective of the Babadook. It's like,
1: it's like, let me tell you about this time <laughs> I was haunting this lady. <laughs> <laughs> she ended up feeding me world. <laughs> it's just, it's Will Foxton for an hour on a, we're, t- we're talking a tiny Fringe stage, just going, baba baba duke duke
2: duke <laughs> what about like i because i'm saying watching this film like there yeah. is definitely scope for like a wicked-esque baba duke origin story do you know what i mean like <laughs> this woman is effectively gaslighting him into making him think that he doesn't exist okay yeah yeah I'm kind of, you know uh
0: untold story. knock thrice for knock thrice for baba an origin story <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: Baba Duke 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 Push Pineapple Shake the tree. That's- <laughs> oh
1: my word. Oh my word. Um. <laughs> <laughs> where, where were we? <laughs> All right, I th- I mean, I think we've got that vague idea of the set. I think we we've talked a little bit about what an ensemble offers us and what music offers us. Are there any thoughts on specific physical effects that we'd like to bring over from the film or specific moments and set pieces in the film that we'd like to represent on stage. I mean, certainly the stuff where the Babadook is in, invisible and dragging Samuel around, like that's a really, I think that could be a really exciting and very scary thing to present on stage.
0: Yeah. Is it one of those ones, we talked about in The Invisible Man, the sort of like we string them up and we pull them around and all this kind of stuff. But it is actually this one where it's more of a sort of theatre stylized uh sort of the ensemble holds him up sort of deal what do we think between mm. in that sort of sense
2: i quite like the idea of um because in the same way that would mirror if we have the ensemble as part of the sort of the sequence of her in the car crash and sort of being i like the idea of just being pushed and being pulled by the people in her life but likewise him later being pushed and pulled and whatever by the Duke. you know there's mm. some sort of imagery and whatever there so i quite like the idea and i think it's i think that harnesses are a bit no offense to you know the cast of wicked i think harnesses are a bit you know trite is that a word
1: (laughs) that is a word and it's been perfectly used yeah you executed that amazingly (laughs) well is
0: this idea with with wicked is that it's sort of it's sort of the first musical to do what it did and that means that now looking back on it 25 years later it, it feels like it's not doing
1: anything interesting because everything that followed it was sort of copying it in some way i think Um, as well like wires can be magical when used correctly they can also be funny i don't know if you can convincingly make them that scary as uh, like as scary as they are in the film if that makes sense because there's obviously been some like digital like removal afterwards mm. i i wonder how well you would you would achieve that but Like you say, if you use symbolically the movement of the actors, I think you can achieve the atmosphere that's required to make those moments feel as scary as they should be. I realise, Will, you asked me whether whether the son should be a young boy or not, and we never answered that. Let's return to it. What are your thoughts, Will?
2: I don't know. I mean, I I do think that... um, I can't remember the name of the boy in the film, but he does it absolutely brilliantly. I do think that that is probably the exception to the rule when it comes to child actors. Like, never work with children or animals, as the saying goes. Oh, and we should do the dog afterwards. <laughs> There's also a dog. That's yeah. I was going to bring up. <laughs> <laughs> <It's a dog. laughs> The question is, like, if he's played by a boy, then you kind of need... Um, I feel like you probably need uh, that girl, his cousin, to be played by a child as well, maybe. Otherwise, mm. that's a bit strange.
0: The thing is, is that is that the, the whole idea of this grief is that it's tied to his birthday and the fact that she... and. Uh, And the fact that his dad died driving her to the hospital to have him and that it was seven years ago and that she hasn't she has not been able to go in that seven years. If we then say her son is, I don't know, 21, I think that's just a whole different kettle of fish. I I,
1: I do think you can push older without uh, uh, you can you can push a bit older and get an actor with a very young playing age. So, for example, there are many 18 year olds that have a playing age of about 13 or 14. So, I think if you could push that far, you could probably get a decent actor and just bring it like a few years ahead. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't really like this idea that, like,
0: I know people will say, don't work with the children, don't with animals. That's more of a for logistical me, it's, thing, I think. You can always honest, find a for decent me, it's, actor. It's,
1: it's less about a good actor, actually, and it is a logistical thing. And it's also about emotional turmoil. Doing a film like this, there are lots of tricks you can use to make it not as flipping terrifying as it really is for the child actor. Mm. To ask a child actor to go out on stage and be terrified with the audience every single night, I think is a is a tall order, really. Yeah. And I think actually, I, uh, my preference would be an uh, like a using an adult simply because I think this is a very taxing performance to give. Yeah. And I was actually going to make a point of saying like you know, is there something as well of doing like an A and B cast? Because it's a taxing performance as well for the the actor that plays Amelia as well. This Absolutely. is a tough thing to do, like to scream in that way and to like behave like you're going to murder your son and like to go through all that every single night, I think is is a, is a tall order to ask of anyone, let alone a child. And that's why I, w- I would be tempted to try and like play it a little bit older, but like, and then get an actor that is an adult.
0: I think for the screams, I think you'd, you'd probably develop the sound design in such a way in which like, only like one scream a night had to actually be performed and the rest yeah. are sort of pre-recorded and, and mimed because of, the, you know, the way they kind of, if it's sort of, they don't really come from her mouth, they sort of radiate out of her. I think,
1: I think you could kind of do that yeah. quite. Well, I, I guess for me as well, like, it's, the, it's the internal emotional challenge of it, right? Absolutely. Think,
2: from, like absolutely. doing something yeah. like that. And do we want like, like a self satisfied ten year old being like, Oh, I just got nominated for tony Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> how would that make us as well... individuals and artists? It's not great.
0: <laughs> yes. Well that's that when we're thinking about what our ideas are creatively creatively for <laughs> this hypothetical Piece of theatre. What we really need to consider is: Will the Tony go to their head? That's that's really that's, that's the real meat of what we've got. To Especially ar- if
1: that child then decides not to have a career in the arts, and then how are we going to feel? And what and those yeah. articles in like fifteen years' time when are like, "What happened to that kid that played?" Uh, the kid in the Babadook especially on because we'll be,
0: especially because we'd literally be the first non-American musical to win, or like the second to win a to, to win a, a best best new musical uh, Tony, <laughs> second after, especially um, with an Australian 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 material, <laughs> and we're as not
1: well. even, and we're not even a um, musical at this point. We we're just uh, a play with some. No, music. but we'd we'd win it anyway. Win all the Tonys. We can. I. We you know you can still keep him a child or not i think we've talked about those actually you know some of that becomes easier if you're not physically dragging a child around every night as well and you're you're doing something using like the other actors around and that definitely makes that whole situation i guess well one safer but two also just like a little easier to 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 work out in terms of that are there are there other like sort of horror moments or like or like particularly filmic moments that like you could represent on stage in a different way. I mean, I think about like her dropping down into the bed and that happens a couple of times.
0: The thing that's quite filmic about a lot of the effects is they're very small. Yeah. So you've got the glass in the soup and the cockroaches coming out the wall. And I hate that. Bugs. Um the little photos uh and the sort of little knocks and things. Like there's there's a lot of small things. And so it's a sort of question of do you keep them? Do you replace them with sort of bigger
2: effect oh okay for cockroach hear me out what about we have we have okay have you ever seen a musical cats i'm I'm talking <laughs> people dressed out as cockroaches they've run into the audience
1: they climb not <laughs>
2: everyone doing old cockroach shits so i don't know what cockroaches do it's bigger <laughs> it's definitely bigger and that is what we were thinking
1: and there's a big cockroach kick line <laughs>
0: okay okay so sorry so what we're doing is it's it's the babadook but it's a it's a one-man play in which will plays the babadook walks on stage wearing that costume and then sings memory for two hours non-stop on a loop Um, and then right at the end a cockroach costumed extra person comes on and sort of slaps him a little bit Look, and then that's the end it is
1: it is spooktoberfest and that is a cursed version of this production <laughs> <laughs>
2: guys all i'm saying is
1: if, if diana the musical made this broadway then why can't <laughs> i did see a horrible little uh portmanteau in this uh, guardian article about uh, the babadook as a gay icon describing the 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 conversation around it as baba discourse <laughs> <laughs>
0: that doesn't even
1: know do we have um, (laughs) any other thoughts about all right yeah
2: look
0: we've not really solved the issue of how to do the small things
1: no well yeah look how do how do we scale up the small things stuff like glass in her soup and stuff which is just horrible as a thought dinner theater dinner theater yeah are you you
0: suggesting we put glass in everyone's soup
2: yes (laughs) cockroaches the cockroaches feed them the cockroaches feed them the glassy soup, the city glass. I'm
0: sure eventually we'll do Squid Game on this podcast. And uh, please come, please come on and suggest we just murder the
1: audience. <laughs> I think I think some of those. Well, I think part of it is about. We, we I think we've c- kind of agreed that this is probably going to pre- be proscenium arch. But I think part of it is about maybe maybe this only exists or only works as a kind of closer to a mid scale project because there's a certain amount of intimacy required or like you can, you can build that in a larger theater, but I think it's about building intimacy, particularly in those domestic moments. And that allows you, I think to scale up some of those things. I think there's stuff you can do with projection that can make something like the cockroaches feel overwhelming, even if on stage they're not and sound design as well.
0: And I think as well, like the, this film is brilliant at show not tell like the mm. only time it does the telling is when it tells you about the accident the first time is because the kid sort of just blurts it out yeah. but that feels very organic and like i don't know well it feels like i, I believe i believed it as a yeah. piece of exposition yeah. you know um like i actually found myself thinking very clever exposition which i don't know whether that's a good thing or not um but I, other than that like basically they basically don't talk about what's going on it just happens yeah. And I wonder if there's just like there are two people experiencing this thing at the same time. Like we get the impression that Sam, at least if he doesn't, if he's not experiencing it too, he understands what his mum's experiencing. Yeah, and so we can have more of that conversation, more of that dialogue, and use that as a way of being like, you know look, the glass in the soup, look.
1: Yeah, yeah, there, there is a bit <laughs> um, of that. I also, I also think there's there's some moments here that are really smartly seeded in the film. For example, like the bit where, like, so there, there's a whole thing of like, Sammy was like, loves magicians and wants to learn sleight of hand and things like this. And we see different clips of, of magic tricks and stuff. And then- the moment where his uh, Amelia wants to give him a sedative, the night like where she ends up like getting taken over by the Babadook, like he palms the sedative so that it looks like he's taking it, but he's not. And the way we've shown that in the film is this really neat little shot of his hand pulling away as he drinks the water, um, and it's sort of like a blink and you'll miss it moment in the film. So I think in the theater, it kind of doesn't matter if that if that doesn't get seen, just as long as like because that's the reason he's able to stay awake and like not get murdered, right? Like that's the whole thing. But I think as well, like the whole point of that is that it's sleight of hand. We've had the whole setup of magic and stuff. You can kind of get away with that moment being missed by most of the audience. Um, And that's okay because it's part of what, you know, of what the film is. and And it's so organically like, Placed in there, and so I think there are lots of moments like that where there's like really clever seeding of what's going to happen next. And in the film, it seeds it so that when when we get the payoff, we're like, "That's great payoff." But in a theatre, you don't necessarily need to have seen the gun to then understand why it's being fired. If that makes sense, if I can,
0: yeah. Or 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 even you can have just like a moment afterwards where he puts it down. So he may not have seen the sleight of hand, but we sort of have a beat afterwards where we slow down and watch, and we understand what's happened in a different way. Yes. Um, I, that, that has reminded me, though, that even though he doesn't take the pills, um, when she starts really experiencing the Babadook, he
1: stops talking about it?
0: Yeah. I don't know if you
1: noticed that. No, there's a, there's a flip. It's a, it's around the 47 yeah. minute mark. So about the halfway point where it's the moment where we get the, like one big jump scare of the film where mm. the Babadook like comes through in a dream. Right. And he, like freaks her out that that's the flip. And that's the moment where he stops caring about the Babadook and she starts caring about the Babadook, yeah. which is really interesting. I don't really know exactly what that's getting at, whether that's about how she's experiencing grief or I don't know, but I, yeah, I found that really fascinating.
2: I do think that should be our uh, interval, if we are going to have an interval. Like, he had him on a high, and I think the first Babadook appearance, and he shouldn't be seen before then. Oh, that's So that was when I initially thought of it as a... Because it changes in how we do it. If we have it, the ensemble doing it, then obviously there'll be parts throughout. But if, if it is a puppet or a costume, or one actor in particular, then I think that's where it should come. Maybe. But was, I
1: think... I, well, we, we, we will have... Throughout the first act, we will have met the ensemble as different characters. It might be quite neat if in that first moment we see the babadook it's all four of them puppeting this one huge thing and that's our interval break. And so then when we come back we we then start to see less and less of real people in the real world and more and more of the babadook. That's the moment when the ensemble then are switching that role. So I think that I think that does work even with an ensemble playing the babadook. And I think it can be this really neat moment where the tone shifts the relationship between mother and son shifts, and then also that like sort of meta theatrical relationship between the ensemble and the and the the sort of central characters shifts as well. In that they're no longer playing supporting characters; they're now playing the Babadook, which is like the central, I guess, villain of the piece. As I said before, it's it feels like such a ramp. If yeah. that makes
0: sense, like a ramp we're going up towards a climax. That I feel like an interval. I don't want one. So you don't like can.
2: intervals or maybe you do. No, no, I do. Maybe no, you, I do. It's Caleb do that like. doesn't like intervals. You d- I, I, don't, I don't, I don't
1: mind an interval if it's well used. I I, I think yeah. for me, it's, it's about, do you make the most of a structure of a piece when you use an interval? Lots, lots, lots of films and lots of plays, uh, particularly like well-structured two act plays, like two act plays that know what one act and two acts looks like that like, aren't like forcing a, a like halfway through a second and third there's, you know, we have this idea of like a three act structure, but I think that like, we're often sort of slightly mistaken in trying to force everything into a three act structure when actually lots of stuff can be like two acts where like there is, one tone for the first act and a different tone for the second one and i think this film fits that at 47 minutes mm. halfway through the film it goes from one thing to being a different thing and yeah. there isn't really three act structure there and i also think we we forget about the five act structure as well and things ending after the after the third act and then you have a fourth and fifth act and that's a good way of splitting things up yeah, well there's a very obvious denouement in in this film. well there, there is definitely but i so and so i think my point being though i think when there is a clear break in tone, it doesn't matter if the action constantly ramps up through an hour and a half. Mm. There is a change that we, we can have happen during a time when the audience aren't sat in the auditorium. It doesn't have to. I think it could play through. I definitely think it could play through. But I think if we're using movement more, we're using music more, I don't, I don't see that as an issue because after she wakes up from that moment... We do get another day before we go into night again. So we do have an opportunity to ramp things up again. But I do think what is clear from that moment is there is this clear break between she's unconvinced and the Babadook doesn't exist to she is convinced the Babadook does exist. And suddenly Samuel's in a different position and, and the power dynamic has changed entirely. I think that I think there's an opportunity there to put a, a break in for the audience
0: for sure, it also gets us around this problem of that I was about to bring up. The way I think, I think this is the main time it happens. I think it happens a couple of other times, sort of, where we can kind of read one way or the other, where something's happening, and then she'll wake up in front of the TV. Yeah, and it's quite difficult to do <laughs> on stage. Uh, and actually, there is this whole like TV effect, but I guess if we've got projection, then I guess we, that's that's how we do that. I
2: also like the idea of they say with a good musical, like the first act is happy go lucky, and the second actor's everything goes to shit. And I do like the idea of like the first act really being being uh, based in in the sort of the realism part of it. So without maybe with the picture book, you know, not in a, as a prominent position and that sort of taking it over for the second act, or maybe not the second act, but for the second half of the piece, that becoming all consuming. Yeah. Which means you might have to cut a few daytime scenes, but so be it.
1: That, but I think that's fine because I think what you do get is you get the um, the social services people turn up at the house. And then you have like Mrs. Roach at the house in that second half. So I think there's a way of like making that second half framed entirely around the house. And maybe there's some kind of set change or something we could do in that interval that then like makes the picture book, yeah, like you said, the absolute prominent part of the set, and and it, it becomes completely framed around that setting for the the second half of the show.
2: Mrs. Roach, but it's really interesting as well because because she's there, but unlike. The other bits it's not like so when the inspectors come it's sort of uh, it's sort of like we are back to realism fully but when she's there it's like she's kind of the odd one out she's invading she is like the sort of the other tone of the film is like trying to invade what is what is or this this nightmare sequence and she's out of place it doesn't really work so I do think that could be interesting like I don't know how you would do it maybe sort of lighting her differently off stage or whatever and just mm. that sort of What's this called?
1: Like a collision. Yeah. Juxtaposition? Like a juxtaposition. <laughs> I think, no. And that moment, yeah, that's kind of the, the kind of scariest moments of the film in a way, because it's the moment where the supernatural enemy has become entirely human. Like it's expressed entirely through Amelia. And so we're fearful for Samuel, but we're also fearful for Mrs. Roach, because the, the horror of the film is a human horror at that point. And so the, although the supernatural element only really plagues, well, only it plagues Amelia and Samuel, at that point, you kind of think anything could happen. And so I think there's, there's definitely, a, it's important to make a point of that moment and a point of that moment when Mrs. Roach is, is kind of kind, almost, yeah, trying to enter the house, trying to invade that space that has become the Babadooks as a moment where it's like, oh, this could break out into the world beyond this fantasy that's in front of us. So maybe, yeah, there's definitely something we could do with lighting there or something to kind of express that as well. Dog. Dog is, yeah, I was going to say that we kind of, <laughs> we're approaching we're this final piece of the puzzle, I think. Thing is, you you
2: can't, you know, can, you can't kill a new dog every night, right? I mean,
1: <laughs> that would be crazy, right? But like, maybe? <laughs> maybe we
2: <laughs> oh, that's really sick I, think, I
1: mean my big issue with that is you've got to like you've got to train that many dogs for however long this one's going to be true. <laughs> and the worst oh. thing is you know for a fact there will be one pushy
2: stage mum who'd be like yes I know this is a real human boy but listen to how good he barks because she's like so <laughs> desperate for her child to get on that stage
0: oh gosh oh, what, would you, God. what would you do with the corpses and
2: I think what wouldn't you do with the corpses?
0: That's true. It is Halloween. I think just the, pop them around. Oh, this is horrible. Decor, um, the we what? are staunchly against anim- unnecessary animal oh. violence. On why? What, what do you mean unnecessary?
1: Podcast. I'm against animal violence. <laughs> why have you put that caveat on it? But however, <laughs> killing a dog every night for this show is necessary. So <laughs> <laughs> I do. I think with the dog where we have this Babadook that can be like people and puppetry and different things, and we're using movement, could we use a good puppet dog? I've seen some good puppet dogs before. Could we do a puppet dog? Especially if we, if we tie like a specific actor to puppeteering that dog, and then maybe after the dog's killed, we don't see that actor again. Maybe there's something we could do there. I'm just thinking it's it, there's definitely a possibility.
0: I'm also, but although I I don't know how that crosses the line between this idea that like the puppet is the magical thing and the dog's real.
1: But the dog only exists in the
0: house. I think for me, it's more about place. That's true.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Because I was going to
0: suggest because there's I recently saw um *Mischief This as grown ups, mm. and they have a they have multiple dying. Hamsters in in it. Um, they get there's they get killed in various ways. And they and,
1: kill multiple a, hamsters every they kill night. Every
0: night. And there's a <laughs> there's a character who's a pet shop owner, and he goes out and gets new ones uh in the play, and he comes back and he kills them in lots of funny ways. Um, they have these like little pulleys that go from one from one flat to the other flat, and they literally pull a little teddy through the thing really quickly and i'm just thinking of this what this dog mostly does is run up to things bark at them and then run somewhere else and i wonder whether actually if it's if we working on a big enough stage uh, upstage enough we can sort of make that work and then you know obviously the even, even in the film the dead dog is a teddy so it whether there's a way of um mm. basically whether there's a way of doing it actually with teddies because with you know if i'm using the word teddy in it, a Odd, odd way with stuffed a- animals, not that were previously alive. With, you know, with with you're
1: tying yourself in knots here, Jake. With
0: with with you know the things, you know
1: the ones, yeah. the ones that aren't the real I, ones. I <laughs> that's a good point. I think there is a that is a way around it, and I think you could go in either direction. I think it would be about maybe testing what you can get out of a puppet first, and then, yeah. but then if it does look to well,
0: a, to counter myself, what mischief are going for is not like believe us
1: here. I was gonna say if we if, yeah. if we're doing the hamster. If we're doing our know, like it's... high camp musical, then maybe like doing a kind of like rag that's just dragged across the stage <laughs> could work as a good joke. But yeah, I wonder Could go either way though.
2: I because I quite like the idea of and this takes us back to the picture book thing, because I think I want that I, I think that what if it's a real dog? Okay, but then hear me out. then when she kills it, it's just, like, a shadow projection. And I'd love if that shadow projection looked exactly like the picture book, as in, like, they're projecting the picture book thing onto Mm. it. So it's like, oh, my God, it happened in real life, you know?
0: Well, because I was going to say, like, the function of the dog really is to sort of be a part of the family that she murders, right? Mm. And uh, and that isn't quite as much as killing her own son, but it's still quite bad. So I wonder whether there's sort of a, a different animal... Or something that can sort of serve the same function, but isn't so complex. Yeah, I don't know whether like
1: I don't know. I don't know. I a, I'm kind of I am owl. quite com- <laughs> I am quite convinced by this this shadow puppetry idea though. And yeah, if, and I think if you could find a couple other set pieces where we can use shadow puppetry as a projection, then then it then it doesn't become abnormal. It becomes part of the show as well.
0: I think it, that could work. So
1: is is the dog always a shadow? No, no, no. Is that, you were saying use a real dog, but then a, a real dog, killed? real dog, but then don't, obviously,
2: you know. And we could also do that with when the girl gets pushed out of the treehouse. She could just never appear. She yeah. could just be taunting, I don't know. Oh, i Push a child out of a treehouse yeah. on stage. That wouldn't
1: be, I wouldn't be right. <laughs> I think you're right on that one. <laughs> that's, that's a hot take, but I agree, actually. <laughs> Guys, okay. Him me out, don't cancel rats. me,
2: but...
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think Shadow... Yeah, We'd have, we have to get them
0: a new nose every night. Like. Oh, <laughs> man.
2: Oh, if we're getting a new nose, then I volunteer to be pushed out of that treehouse. Okay.
0: And the Tony for best broken nose goes to... <laughs> uh, right.
2: What do you want to do for the picture book? Mm. like the actual picture book not the set or is that is that also the picture book? Well, well so I'm my think, yeah.
0: idea was that it was projected onto the actual onto the set okay. yeah, as a sort of like as a sort of like reflection if we're using this sort of picture book set i um, i agree while they're going through it not yeah like
1: i think that and i think it gives us an opportunity to introduce like this specific art style to the audience because i think I, I think like the particular art style they use for that picture book is particularly creepy and very well like ex- executed in the film. So to introduce that in a way that would work on stage as well would be good.
0: Good. Okay.
1: Good. I think
0: we've done it. Yeah. Done it. I think we've, I think we've Bubba done it. <laughs> Come on. I love it. Come on. God.
1: Guys, God. I'm really proud. Will, <laughs> um, Will, was there anything else that you wanted to, any other thoughts you had about it?
2: Maybe just like my parting thought can be like, guys. Maybe uh, the real Babadook with the friends I made along the way. (laughs) That's how I felt about this podcast.
1: And in and in a way, that is what the end of the film is. She does form a relationship resembling friendship with the Babadook. Yeah. Well, because you guys, you guys feed all your friends bowls of worms, right? Honey, I'm doing it right now. Yeah, I'm. Every time I see you, Caleb, I feed you.
0: By the words. yeah. <laughs> um, in lieu of pay. Um, um, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, bro, I t- w- my, I've
1: already. My lawyers have filed a letter to you, and and I will see you in court in due course, Jake. But yeah.
0: But I just uh, every time they call me, I they just get my voice message, and my voice message says I'm probably in the garden looking at Ma- you. mama.
1: Is that what the uh, message says?
2: <laughs> Guys, in a smash
1: hit sequel, I would like to play the role of the worm, please. <laughs> you you can play the role of every single worm in that book. Can you do can you can do, we do the worm? Sorry, just before because like like, whilst, we're, whilst we're just uh goofing, can we do um that the same reveal that we get at the end of Dear Evan Hansen with the like orchard? Can we do that with the rose garden at the end? <laughs>
0: well they just appear from the floor for now. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. love, I
1: love the idea of like using the Babadook to call cool back to Dear Evan Hansen on stage. Mm. I, I I think that's yeah. important.
0: Well, you know, in Dear Evan Hansen, the original name for Evan Hansen was going to be um well, Babin Dukeson.
1: Baban Dukeson, I'm <laughs> Babin. sure.
2: I like the idea of like first year um, drama students at like RADA who are all like desperate to get their big break. And their big break is they are in sleeping bags, being the worms coming up like, from... <laughs> yeah if you
0: if you if you go to drama school well and you have to pick an animal please pick a worm it's your, <laughs> your animal for three years um, okay brilliant well thank you so much for staging the babadook with us uh have you have you enjoyed it
2: i've been literally enjoyed every single minute of it thank you so so much for having me guys i loved it
1: and do you feel like you have spooktoberfested i feel
2: like spooktoberfested all over the place Okay, well, you I know, regret
0: That's that. disgusting, <laughs> William. Um, I was going, I was going to ask whether you, whether having talked about how you'd stage it, would you, if you, if you got the chance?
2: I think so. Yeah, why not? I feel like what we really, what to really now is like a ground hitting piece about grief from from me, William foxton Do you know what I mean? Like I think that's what that's what they need now. Me playing everyone. That's
0: what. The, that's what the people need. Yeah. That's, what the, yeah, <laughs> that's what. they want.
2: Yeah. Dead dogs and um, Diana.
0: Well. Um <laughs> uh, is there anything you are up to at the moment? Do you want me to, to we- reach you on social media, check out your show reel, uh, this is your soapbox. Tell us about yourself.
2: Oh, okay. So um, my name is Will Foxton. You can find me uh... and that's your time. Thank you <laughs> very much. Uh <laughs> you, can find me. you can find myself, baby, on my year abroad. You can find me <laughs> on Twitter. I'm at William Red with Triple D. I just winked at the camera there. And then at Instagram is um, at Will of Oxton. I'm not really up to much at the moment, but like if I am up to anything, then you'll find out.
1: And also just excellent tweets in general. Will Will is one of my favorite tweeters. Oh Uh, my God, stop it. You're one of my six
2: fans. I'm very appreciative.
1: (laughs) I'm I'm glad to to be part of the club. Caleb, where can people find you online? I am on Twitter, Instagram, and letterboxed at Caleb Lebster. That's C A L E B L E B S T E R. Jake, where can people find you online?
0: I am on Twitter at Jake underscore Mori, and I'm on Instagram at Jakey Mori and we are Maybe You Like It Productions and this is the Maybe You Like It podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Maybe You Like It that's with the letter U or on Facebook at Maybe You Like It Productions that's with the word U and we're also on Instagram at Maybe You Like It with the letter U. That's a weird way of me going about those three things but there we go. <laughs> you can also visit our website at www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk or drop us an email tell us how you would stage the Babadook. If you have any power to help us stage the Babadook for real then you know just get in touch. You know this is probably one of the mo- more realistic ones we've ever done because it's not by disney get in touch with us at info at maybe dot like i say oh if you did enjoy this then please give us a rate and a review wherever you get your podcasts and otherwise maybe you like that maybe you didn't baba, 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 dook. dook, dook.
1: That was a maybe you like it production.
0: Maybe you liked it. Maybe you didn't.